as you guys know, uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and we have been in a series called Thessalonians. It's Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, and a large portion of what we talked about last week and this week are Paul and the missionaries and how they tried to display the gospel in Thessalonica. And so as Paul taught, or not Paul, as Mark talked about last week, dang, that's a big honor right there. (laughs) As Mark talked about last week, he said, we should all be like nursing mothers for those around us who sacrifice and love and share the gospel. And as Mark kind of spoiled, this week we're going to talk about that flip side of fathers and being fatherly for the gospel. And so I thought it was only appropriate to start out by saying something that happened seven months ago in my own life. Um, And I could, you know, spend this entire sermon just being like, this is what happened. Oh oh my gosh, it was crazy. Or uh, I'm going to leave this choice up to you. I could show a current photo. (laughs) Which one? Photo? Photo? Are you guys sure? Yeah? All right. Current photo. Aww. My goodness, (laughs) look at that cute kid. Uh, You know, kids just radically change your life. Uh, It's hard to remember anything before seven months ago, maybe because of the lack of sleep. (laughs) But to be honest, one thing I do remember is this just anticipation of a huge life change. And with any life change, you want to be prepared for it, right? But some of the things you just can't prepare for. But when Heidi came to me and was like, I'm pregnant, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Actually, I didn't believe her at first. But uh, I was like, this is the time where you're going to learn everything you can about parenting. And the reason why is not because my parents were terrible. No, I love my parents. But I worked at a Christian camp where we saw foster kids come through. I got to see the effects of bad parenting on kids, and I did not want my kids to have bad parents. So I did what anybody does when preparing for major life change. You go and buy a book written by somebody super famous and read it. So I bought Family Discipleship. I was like, that's probably a good place to start. But then, of course, I'm like, that's super small. You should buy another book. So I bought another book, and literally the title is pretty obviously Parenting, right? Also written by a pretty famous pastor and author. And then I was like, oh, my goodness, I heard about this crazy book with this amazing title, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers. Hey, got to read that. So, you know, of course, I read that. Then, of course, people are like, oh, Nathan, you love books. Let me buy you some. And then I'm like, okay, I got to read those too. So then you read two more. But then, of course, if you're ridiculous like me, you go, but that's not enough because there's not one there that has the word father in it. So you wait for a book release and you get Intentional Fatherhood, uh, which is a phenomenal book. It's actually The Intentional Father. Great book. One, two, three, four, five, six. Goodness gracious. That seems like a lot of reading just to prep for a kid. But the truth is, the funniest part about reading these books is I probably should have just picked up my Bible. 
And I'm not saying that because I'm against books. No, seriously, just go to my office and you'll understand I love books. But why I'm saying this is the themes that I learned from these books are laced throughout Scripture. In fact, last week, the first theme I recognized from these books is that a good parent sacrifices. Like a nursing mother sacrifices their body, their time, their sleep, their nutrients, everything they sacrifice. Or, what we're going to talk about this week is the other major theme from this book. And with that said, if you're not a parent, please don't tune out. Because what we're talking about today are characteristics of Jesus. And whether you're a parent or not, you should want to follow Jesus. You should want to mirror him. And so with this message, although there is a twist because it has this fatherly aspect to it, it doesn't mean moms or women, you need to not listen. No, it means that just as guys, we should mirror nursing mothers, we should also mirror good fathers. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. Once again, that's 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. And I know you guys want that picture to stay up there this entire time, but I'm sorry, scripture. So let's jump in to verse 9. For you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. You worked night and day that we might not be burdened, be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory." Now, this is important because these verses are a continuation from what we talked about last week. So if you haven't heard that sermon, I would encourage you after church, not right now, to go look it up on our podcast or on our website. Listen to it. It, it was phenomenal. But the beautiful part about the last, this week and last week is that Paul demonstrates who God is and how the gospel should change us. So let's pray as we jump into this verse by verse to truly sit before God and go, hey, God, you are the ultimate father. Show me what you want me to do with this. So God, I pray for everyone in these seats. I don't know everything they might be going through today, but I pray that your word would speak to them. God, I pray that you would walk with us that you would let me get out of my own way and let you be on display. God, I pray your truth would reign in our hearts, minds, and souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump into this first verse, and I'm gonna read it again. It says, for you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel 
of God. Now, I'm curious why Paul would start this with this, our labor and toil, that we might not burden you. We worked night and day. One, I feel like grammatically it should say day and night. Is that just me? No, you guys agree? Good. Okay, I'm not crazy. But it makes me wonder, what is Paul's motive for saying this? This is, after all, a letter. So he's responding to something. So in my opinion, Paul is writing this because he recognizes the fact that some people thought Paul was there for money, not the gospel. And yet Paul was like, no, 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 that's not it. I want love to be the reason why I spread the gospel. So I'm going to work night and day to provide for myself. And this is a perfect example of how Paul was such a father. He did not want to burden the Thessalonians. So he worked night and day on a hard job. He was a tent maker before machines were around. Figure that one out. And yet, in all of that hardship, he and the other missionaries continued to preach the gospel. Paul and these missionaries only wanted the Thessalonians to see Jesus. He didn't care how tired he was. He definitely didn't care about the money. But he did it so that nothing would stop or hinder the people from hearing the truth of Jesus. And he calls them to remember, which means that this was rememberable. They would sit there and they would watch Paul be so exhausted, and yet at the same time, in his exhaustion, he would not stop from loving them. That's what a good father does. They set an example of love even when they're tired, even when they're run down, even when they're just burdened. They put others first. They say, your needs are more important than my needs. And like I said, this is not just a father thing. This is a Christian thing. We need to be willing to lay our burdens aside to walk over and help other people. Now, I'm not saying that it's not okay to feel sadness. No, there are times where our burdens, we need somebody to come walk alongside us. It's okay to not be okay. But in our tiredness, will we choose to love people or will we choose to be aggravated with people? And some of you may know Paul's story and you're like, well, this just doesn't make any sense. Paul took money from churches all the time. And he did. He did take money from churches. So if he didn't take money from the Thessalonians, there must have been a reason for it. And I can only think of two, and I kind of already shared one. And one of them is that reason that Paul was like, no, we are a missionary in this area. I'm a missionary on mission in this community. I'm not going to take money from them. In fact, if I do take money from them, they might see that as a gap to getting to the gospel. But because I'm on mission here, I will not take money from them. He was motivated by love and the gospel, not money. And the second reason is that Paul did not take money because he worked for the gospel. And the gospel is based on the love and self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So what that means is that it is incompatible for missionaries to seek self-profit. That is what Paul is trying to say here, is he didn't want financial gain. He wanted people to see Jesus. 
And that is one of the most fatherly acts that anyone can do, is sacrifice so others can find true freedom in the gospel of Jesus. And that's why if we look at the very next verse, we see how Paul says this was our example. These missionaries, they said, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So not only did these missionaries work their butts off, they also preached the gospel while they were working, but then also this was their conduct in their everyday lives. I mean, it's one thing to preach the gospel and it's another to live it, to be holy, to be righteous, to be blameless. That's rough. And if we look at verses one through nine, we see that those verses are about the conduct of the missionary team. But now there's this shift in verses 10 through 12 where we see that it's no longer about their conduct. No, it's about their integrity. What is the thing behind the thing? What is driving them? And Paul says they conducted themselves in three ways that I've already said. They said they were holy. In other words, they did everything that was pleasing to God. Two, they were righteous. In other words, they honored and loved their neighbors. And third, they were blameless. In other words, they lived above reproach. These missionaries, they lived with integrity. In everything they did, they sought to be a good example. And Paul saw this as a paternal duty to the Thessalonians. And that is why in the very next two verses, Paul lays it out. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And I love that last week we talked about mothers and this week there's this word father in here because God himself has both motherly and fatherly qualities. And so we see here that Paul is comparing themselves to fathers. And we need to pay attention because if we truly are believers in the gospel and if we truly live out the call of God on our lives, we will begin to look like loving parents and guardians of the souls around us. Because this is why it says like a father with his children. And now that we know that this is the way that the missionaries and Paul worked, we can look back at verse nine and kind of understand why Paul didn't want to take money. What father charges a child for raising them? Although that would be super nice, right? Like diapers are expensive, y'all, okay? <laughs> but then we can also look at verse 10 and go, oh man, Paul was an educational father. He set this really good example and all of us in here that have kids or want future kids can say truly that we would love kids to be holy, righteous, and blameless. And I love the fact that Paul talks about both parental roles here because we all, despite our genders, should be people who are like nursing mothers, cherishing their children. We need to cherish believers and unbelievers around us. But we should also be like fathers who want to disciple and encourage one another, who wanna see their kids live their God-given abilities, to live out the will of God on their lives. 
And we as Christians should do this for people around us, whether they're our kids or not. We should do this for our neighbor. We should come alongside them and help them see who God has made them to be. And one of the best ways to do this is be a good example. When we are a good example, it's easier to actually do what Paul is saying here. It's easy to exhort people. It's easy to encourage people. It's easy to charge people when we walk out a good example because when we do that, they'll listen to us because they know we have integrity. Also, if you're gonna encourage or challenge somebody, it better be based upon love because when you truly love someone and you encourage them in this way, they'll listen especially if they know it's coming from a place of love. See, exhorting, encouraging, and charging won't work if it's not done in love. It just won't. People will see right through it. We all have an instance in our life where somebody we know doesn't love us came up and said something to us, and we're like, okay, whatever you say, and we just move on. But what Paul is saying here is that we should do this for one another. He did it for the Thessalonians. And I love the fact that this verse says, each one of you, which means when we encourage and when we challenge people, we need to know who the individual is that we are talking to. Because the way I challenge other people is not going to be the way I challenge my wife. You need to know who you're talking to and you need to know how to love that person for who they are and who God has made them to be. And I really do love the fact that Paul put this here because if you look at the rest, it could have just said you. He could have been talking to the entire church congregation, but he says each one of you. Paul cares about the individual, not just the congregation. He wants to see all of them individually be healthy. So what is it that he is exhorting, encouraging, and charging them to do? Yes, walk in a manner worthy of God. That is correct. But what does that even mean? Well, if we look at the previous verse, it talks about being holy, righteous, and blameless. That's what it means to walk in that way. Now, this does not mean that you have to be perfect. Let me tell you, there is no one perfect other than Jesus that has walked this earth. So there's no way that these missionaries were completely blameless, were completely holy, and were completely righteous. But the reason I believe Paul can write this here is because when people make a mistake, but they want to be holy, they want to be righteous, and they want to be blameless, they admit it. They seek reconciliation. They repent. They say, you know what? I messed up. I'm sorry. That's integrity, to admit that you made a mistake. And Paul is encouraging them and us to live in a way and walk in a manner worthy of God. And see, we are God's children. So we should walk and we should live as if we are his kids. And Paul often will use the word walk or walking as a metaphor for behavior change. And I love this comparison 
Because sometimes when our character changes or our behavior changes, it's like the Holy Spirit came out of left field and just smacked you in the face, right? And all of a sudden, your entire life has changed in an instant. But then other times, the Spirit's like, hey, Nathan, 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 just trying to get your attention so you can change your direction and start changing the way you're walking and where you're walking to. And I love walking. Oh my goodness. I do love walking. And I love this comparison also. Um, I'm a little crazy. Uh, obviously, I like reading books. Uh, so in this comparison and thinking of walking, I read a book on walking. Um, yeah, you heard that right. Uh, I did read a book on walking. It actually is a phenomenal book, uh, Walking One Step at a Time by Erling Kegg. He is a Norwegian philosopher and explorer, uh, amazing life story. But this book has a section in it that I think is worth reading to you because the way you walk says a lot about who you are. So let me read it to you. A policeman walks in a completely different manner than a hipster, who in turn walks completely differently than a beggar. Each of these three types of people are types that you can find on the street. They are often on different kinds of errands. One of these is keeping order, and his or her authority is reflected in controlled movement of the body. Another walks with a relaxed gant, while the third has had to accept the daily indignities of their difficult life. Their social status has been internalized in their bodies. Their social status has been internalized in their bodies. See, the way we walk says a lot about who we are, but it also says a lot about who we think we are. And when we walk in a manner worthy of God, we should walk differently. We should walk in a way that God's very essence is shown in our every step, in our every actions, because we are meant to reflect the very character of God. And this is a God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. And the beautiful thing about this calling is any time we walk in a manner worthy of God, we walk in this calling. And when we do this, we bring God glory. And we get to see a glimpse, just a glimpse of his kingdom here on earth. Just as Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we live to the call of God, we bring him glory. And that is having a little piece of heaven come down to earth. And the beautiful thing about God's glory is he shares it with us. God is not like other dictators. God is unlike any other gods that have ever been worshipped. 
Most gods and dictators seek glory for themselves over and over and over. But God says, you know what? I'm going to make my creation in my image. I'm going to share my glory with you. And the crazy part is he does this with people who don't even believe in him. <laughs> and it's not about following a set of rules. It's about reflecting the fact that God gave us his glory and our very actions. God made us in his image. He cares about us. Just like a parent who gets to see their kid doing new things. Sammy is starting to climb on stuff. And as a climber, I'm like, yeah. But I watch it and I just, gosh, I just delight in it. Something just hits at the core of me. But if you're not a parent, maybe it's you worked with somebody at work or you were trying to teach a friend a task or a skill that you had mastered and you just keep trying to teach them and teach them and teach them and then one day it clicks for them. And then you get to take a seat back and you get to watch this coworker, this friend, this student do this thing on their own and you just sit there and you go, wow, this is amazing. That's shared glory. That's what God does with us because God is the only perfect parent. <laughs> and we should learn to be like him. And I know this has been killing you. The second theme that I learned from all these books is that if you want to raise your kids right, be the person you want your kids to be. In other words, be a good example. And as a follower of Jesus, we have a perfect example of what to follow in Jesus Christ. Jesus was like a nursing mother who came and bled and died on a cross so we can experience real life. But also while he was on earth, he challenged us. He showed us how to walk in a way that shows love to others. But not just love, this love that was like, hey, I'm going to challenge you and charge you to go and repent. But at the same time, I'm going to love you and I'm going to be these arms that will welcome you back home. And this is less about whether you are a father, mother, if you have kids or anything like that. It's about you living out the call of God on your life. And your call may look drastically different than Paul and these missionaries. Maybe God is challenging you to go be a missionary. Maybe he is. I can't tell you what God's call is on your life. That's between you and him. But if you live out a sacrificial life, a one that seeks to be a good example, one that seeks to be holy, blameless, and righteous, God will show you your calling. And I believe that because as we love those around us, we will begin to honor God and bring him glory and show his kingdom here on earth. And you see, the way you live shines light on who God is. I'm gonna say that again. The way you live shines light on on who God is. 
And if you want the people in your neighborhoods, in your homes, at your offices to come to know who Jesus is, start acting like Jesus. And how you love and how you serve and how you encourage them. The whole point of verses 1 through 12 that we've gone over the last two weeks is that Paul is trying to show how he was an example of the gospel. And in these verses, we see Paul by, start sharing by example what these missionaries did in their works, in their lives, in their hearts, and also in their minds. They sought to live holy, righteous, and blameless lives. Then at the end of this section, right here, Paul encourages them to do the same. And if we are students of Jesus, we will begin to be transformed and molded into nursing mothers and loving fathers who seek the greatest good for the people around us, who seek to get down on our hands and feet and wash the people around us because we love them so much. That is what it means to be and walk in a manner worthy of God. So is your example and the way you live shining light on who God is? Or are you shining light on something else? As I close out the sermon, I want to invite the band back up. And I want to end this time with a poem I heard this week that both Heidi and I were just mesmerized by. Because this poem, (laughs) it just shows us what this sermon is about. I could have just put this poem up and walked off stage. (laughs) The poem is called Sermons We See. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes, a better pupil, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. God, I pray that Creekside Church would not be a place that does not show who you are in our very actions and our everyday lives outside of these walls. And God, as Paul exhorted, encouraged, and charged the individual, I just want to pray for everyone individually in here right now, God. I don't know where they're coming at today or how they're feeling in their seat, but the world is crazy around us. And so God, I just pray for our individual hearts, minds, and souls that we would know that you are a good father. God, I pray that we would know that Jesus has sacrificed for us. It washes away a multitude of sin, of anxieties, of struggles. God, I pray that we would be a people who walk in a manner worthy of God. Not just here at church, Lord, but in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, with our friends, with our family. 
that we would be a people who are marked by who you have created us to be. Lord, I pray that we would help those around us know the calling you have put on their lives. Lord, I pray that we would walk with you daily, one step at a time. Amen.